God's always here, okay? I, you know, God is always with us. He's omnipresent, right? Uh, it's, it's the degree to which we are present to him that we feel his presence. Um, but I always love it whenever we have a great time of worship because then it makes this just ten times easier. You know what I mean? I come up here and talk for five minutes and sit down. We've already met with God, you know? So it takes the pressure off, you know? Um, anybody who's ever done preaching or any public speaking knows, knows that the pressure and stuff like that, you know, uh, that can cause, that can inhibit the, the flow of the spirit. But God's already been with us. So with that being said, uh, this morning, I want to look into Psalm chapter 40. So if you have your Bibles or your phone with your Bible app, please pull it out because I didn't get the, I didn't get the scriptures to, uh, to serve Bo to put on the PowerPoint. So we're going old school today, you know. There was a time, believe it or not, where people brought Bibles to church and, and they, they read out of them all together, you know. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm not taking shots on anyone. But if you have your Bible, please pull it out. And we're going to look at Psalm chapter 40 together. And if you have uh, the Bible app, I'm going to be in the ESV, so you can, you can look at that version, so we're reading along together. Today we're looking at Psalm chapter 40, and I thought this was interesting because last week, Pastor Bradley preached on King David. How many of you were here last week? King David, that was a good, good message. You might remember he talked about, uh, basically, King David's fall with, with uh, Bathsheba and, and all the details of what happened with that, and and basically, how they, going through you know David's the cycle of David's life, he talked about three different kings. He talked about well three different rulers. He talked about King David, and then he talked about Pontius Pilate, and then he talked about the King of all kings, Jesus Christ. Amen. They did a great job of comparing all of them, and I I really was struck by you know just the story of David's life and and how he uh, you know how he how he went through what he went through, you know, the, the, everything that he went through. And Bradley talked about that a lot last week. And so this morning, um, or this week, I was reading a lot of, you know, Psalms of, of David. And Psalm chapter 40 is a really famous psalm, a psalm of praise written by David um, that really struck me. And so that's what we're going to be talking about here this morning. Um, so without further ado, we're going to go ahead and dive right in. We're going to read the whole thing, but we're really going to focus in on, on just one part of it. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes his trust in the Lord, who does not turn to the proud, uh, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance from my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. 
Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this psalm. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful writings that we see here. God, I thank you for uh, the honesty in King David's voice. God, I pray that you would help us this morning uh, to see the truth of this psalm. Lord, help us to see Jesus in this psalm. Help us to see ourselves in this psalm. Lord, help us to grow closer to you this morning, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 So, as it is with a lot of psalms, there's, there's really multiple ways you can interpret things. And, and this morning, I want to I take you down two different ways of interpreting this psalm, okay? Two ways to look at it, you could say. And the first one is just uh, King David. He's just pouring his heart out. You know, I don't know, you know if you were listening, hopefully you were, as I was reading the psalm. You know, King David says a lot of things that we ourselves say a lot of times, right? He says a lot of things that are really true to the human heart and the human experience. He, he says in there uh, that, that the evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. There are more hairs on my head and my heart fails me. We've been there, right? I mean, we've been through those times in our life where, we, where it seems like everything is coming all around, uh, where everything is, is, is coming in on us. But in, in the midst of all that, it's kind of like this Oreo cookie, because it's like, it's like, you know, you got, with the Oreo, you got the cracker, the, the cookie, I just call it a cracker cookie, then you got the cream, and then you got the, the cookie on the other side. What it is, is it's a psalm of praise, that's what it is, it's a psalm of praise, but right in the middle, he, 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 he sticks in there his lament, he sticks in there his grief. He, he starts off the psalm with this boisterous praise about who God is, and, and what God has done, and, and all these great things, and then he, he sticks there in the middle his, his hurts, and, and all the things that... That, that trouble him, and he's bringing them to God. But then he ends it at the very end. He says, um, I, I love this part. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. The Lord takes thought for me. He doesn't, he doesn't leave it there on the note of what he is. Because by and large, this is a psalm of praise, okay? And I wanted, I wanted to really hit on this point because this is something that we talk about a lot in church, you know, praise and worship. You've all heard that, that, that phrase, praise and worship, Okay. Well, praise is different from worship, right? We're really getting into the logistics, but we use those, those terms interchangeably, right? So worship is honoring God for who he is. If God never did anything else for you in your life, you still worship him because of who he is. God is holy. God is alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, right? So we worship God out of honor for who he is. Simply put, the position that he has over us because he is God and we are not, right? But praise, praise is something that overflows out of you because of the good things that God has done for you, right? Praise is something that bubbles out of you. Think of a, a, a fountain or like a, a, I had a friend recently that went to uh, Yellowstone National Park. They have the, the geysers there, geysers, geysers, how do you pronounce it, that, that they... Water just flows out of them, right? They just way out. That is a picture of praise that comes out of us because we recognize the good things that God has done in us, and so the praise flows out of us. It comes out of us back toward God. This is a psalm of praise. David is praising God here for deliverance. 
He's praising God because God has come through for him. God has delivered him. God has done something good for him. And the one note I wanted to make on this part is that this is the proper response, right? So this is is something that, you know, the the Bible makes it very clear, you know, to to raise holy hands to the Lord, to to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And, And it's not one of these things that, you know, God's not this dictator up in the sky, this some narcissist that says, you need to praise me because I'm so, I've done such good things for you. No. No, it's a, it's a conscious choice that we make as Christians when we walk into the sanctuary of believers. We walk in here and we hear the songs that are being sung and we're, we're, we're thinking about the good things that God has done for us and the praise that we give God flows out of that. It flows out of that. It flows out of recognizing all the good things that God has done for us. Well, you might say, well, God hasn't been very good to me. I get it. Sometimes life takes a turn for the worse, this or that. As we're going to talk about here in a minute, God has done some really, really great things for all of us. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But we have breath in our lungs. We have life. We are here this morning, right? We are walking around and about. That is something in and of itself to praise God for is that we're here, that we're alive, that we live uh, the life that we're living right now and that we are with the people that we are with. We praise God for what he has done for us, right? It's, it's, It's slight difference, slight difference between praise and worship. So this is a psalm where David is praising God. He's praising God for the deliverance. He says in the very first part, here's the very famous part. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He's singing uh, really a song, a song of praise, a a joyful noise, right, That, that comes out of him. And this is really the first way that we look at the psalm, okay? And with this, we might, we might look at this psalm in the first way, and we put ourselves in King David's shoes, and we say, yes, God has been faithful. How many of you can, can say, you've seen God be faithful in your life at times? You've seen the hand of God in your life? And we can, we can reminisce on that, and we can say, God has been good. God has been good to me. God has provided for me. And because of that, we can put ourselves in the shoes of King David, and we can say, God has been faithful. God has been faithful to me in my life. He has delivered me in times where I was in trouble. In times where I did pray to him, he did answer me. He did provide for me. He was a Jehovah Jireh. He was uh, the God who provides for me. He was there in that moment whenever I needed him the most. So we can put ourselves in the shoes of King David and we can see uh, the goodness of the Lord uh, in reminiscing of our lives. And we praise him because of that. We praise him because of that. But this is, and I'm not saying that's an incorrect way to view the scripture. It's not. It's not an incorrect view. But what happens, it's a a very American view to where we we make the psalm all about us. We make the psalm all about us. We make the scriptures about us. Where can we find our place in it, right? But I I want to present you with a different view this morning. This is not a Walker McCallum view. This is something that the early church did a lot, where they would take the psalms, And they would read these psalms in a Jesus-centric way, where they would read the psalms and say, how does this apply to the story of what has been done in Jesus of Nazareth? How does this psalm, how does this sacred text, how does this scripture apply to what we've seen Jesus do in our life? How how does it come back to Jesus? Because at the end of the day, we're Christians, right? 
right? We're, we're Christians. We're not psalmists. We're Christians, okay? And, and so every time that we read the Bible, it's got to come back to Jesus, okay? It's got to come back to Jesus. And I can't overstate that point. Let me say that again so that you all get it. When we read the Bible, it all comes back to Jesus because that is the center of our faith, amen? That is where, that's who we go to. He's our Savior and our Warden. So when we read the Scripture, it's not a, a, a text in and of itself, but it's, it's a roadmap that leads us to the cross, okay? It leads us to Jesus. And this morning, we're going to do the exact same thing with Psalm chapter 40, okay? So yes, King David is talking about a time literally in his life where God delivered him, yes. But what I want to do this morning is Psalm 40 is also a prophetic psalm. It is, it is, it is a psalm that is, is proclaiming the goodness of the Lord as we've seen in Jesus Christ, okay? What do I mean by this? What do I mean that, that, that this is a psalm about Jesus? This was written thousands of years before Jesus was even alive, you know? What is this? What do I mean by that? I mean this, that Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is the one who has drawn us up out of the pit of destruction, amen? Jesus is the one who has drawn us up out of the miry bog. Jesus is the one who has set our feet on the rock. Jesus is the one that's put a song of praise in my mouth. Jesus is the one who has given me joy where there is none. Jesus has multiplied my praise. Jesus has given me the ability to overflow with praise, right? I don't just, I don't just, I don't just walk, nobody just walks in here and just is just like, ooh, oh, praise God for no reason. We praise God because of what Jesus has done. We have praise in our heart, and we exclaim praise. People are getting crazy. People are saying hallelujah. People are raising their hands. People are shouting for joy. Why? Because of what Jesus has done on Calvary. Because Jesus is our deliverer. Because Jesus has delivered us from Satan, sin, and death. Jesus has delivered us. He's delivered us. And so, yes, this morning, this was a psalm that David wrote about his life. But now that we, we're reading it this morning, uh, in 2021, and, and post-Calvary, we can see that this is a psalm about Jesus' life and about how Jesus has delivered us from the pit of destruction. That Jesus has, has lifted us up out of our sin, and he set us up on the rock. And I want to break that down here a little bit this morning, Okay. Jesus has delivered us from Satan, sin, and death. Let's break that down. Jesus says in John chapter uh, 17, sorry, John chapter 12, excuse me. He says that this world has already been judged. The judgment has come upon this world. And he says this, he says, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus says this, the ruler of this world will be cast out. The apostle Paul refers to Satan as the God, lowercase g, of this world. The God of this world. The, the spirit of this world, if you will. The spirit of the age, right? And, and part of the work that Jesus does on the cross, part of the work that Jesus does in going to the cross, and, and this is by his own admission, by his own words, is that the, the, the cross is, is this work of victory. It's, 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 yet we view it a lot as a, an atonement for our sins, and we'll get to that here in a second, but another aspect of the cross is that the cross is a victory over Satan, that, that at the cross, Jesus goes to dismantle principalities and authorities, that he goes there not just to, not just to forgive sin, yes, but also to take his rightful place as king, right? To, to dismantle the authority that had been in place. And by Jesus' own admission, he has come to cast down the ruler of this world. Well, how do we see this? What, what is, what is uh, you know, you might say, okay, well, how did that happen? You know, how, how did Jesus dismantle the Satan? How, how did Jesus dismantle the devil? How did, how did he break that down? I want to submit to you a thought this morning that Satan being the ruler of this world 
is, is the authority of hatred, the authority of murder, the authority of, of uh, what do you want to say, of, of evil in every way, right? And what did Jesus see as he goes to the cross? What do we see in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? We see an innocent man who has never committed a crime, never committed a sin, right? Jesus is sinless. He's never done anything wrong except for help people, except for heal people, except for make people's lives better, right? He, he did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. Is there anything more evil than, uh, than executing an innocent man? No, I can't think of anything more evil than that, than executing somebody who is innocent, by all accounts, innocent. And so what happens is Jesus of Nazareth is, is tried before Pontius Pilate, as we talked about last week. He's, cruci- or he's sentenced to death and crucified on the cross. And it's not, you know, we think of like, you know, uh, this is obviously really sad, but there's, there's methods of, of death penalty today that are quick, right? Just like that. They didn't have that back then, and nor did they want to. They wanted him to suffer. They wanted the evil to, to, to pr- be prolonged. They wanted him to suffer in such a way that it would be prolonged. I know this is gruesome this morning, but, but bear with me here, that Jesus, in the face of all of this hatred and this evil and this torturous uh, kind of sentencing that he went through, what did he, what did he come at it with? Love and forgiveness. The power that Jesus goes to fight evil with on the cross is the greatest power that has ever been known, and that is love. Because this morning, if we're honest with ourselves, deep down, we all know that there is no force in the universe greater than love. Right? There's nothing stronger than whenever you look at another person with love, with true love, right? I, d- I don't know from experience, but I've heard, you know, whenever you have a child and you first look at that child, there's a, there's a magnetic pull of love. You can't explain it. Stronger than anything in the universe, right? Whenever you're looking at your loved ones, your family members, your, your uh, you know, your, your partner, your husband or your wife, right? There's that magnetic pull of love. And what we see in Jesus Christ is a love that transcends that. An agape love, right? Uh, An unconditional love. A love that goes beyond all loves. And and Jesus goes to the cross. And I I just think it's so remarkable that we can stand here in 2021 and still say that Jesus was sinless. Because think about what he went through. That even in the face of being whipped and beaten and tortured, he never retaliated. He never cussed anybody out. He never tried to fight back. He never swung any punches, right? He came at it with love. And so how is evil conquered? Not by the sword that Simon Peter draws out and tries to cut the ear. Not by calling down legions of angels like Jesus could have. No, but evil is conquered by love. The Satan, father of all evil, and, and unforgiveness and hatred is conquered by love. And that is how Jesus cast him out. That is how Jesus cast him out, is by his love. So Jesus delivers us from Satan. We don't have, we, this is the beauty, and this is going to kind of, this kind of seeps into sin a little bit here too. But we don't, we don't have to submit to the authority of Satan. You don't have to submit to the authority of Satan in your life. Did you know that? Bradley talked about this morning about how there's, 
You know, you might feel like you've got some shackles over you. You might feel like you've got some chains over you. Maybe you're praying for some people in your life that have some shackles and your chains over you. Well, this is the good news of Jesus, amen, is that whenever we believe in Jesus, when we submit ourselves under the authority of Jesus and under his lordship, we don't have to answer to Satan anymore. We don't have to answer to his rule. We don't have to answer to his, to his poise and his tricks anymore. He is not our Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so we don't have to listen to what he says over our lives. We don't have to listen to his temptations. We don't have to follow into his tricks, of, of, you know, into what he wants us to do. None of that. Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so this is, I just want to make that point really quick that maybe you're in this place and you find yourself fighting temptations. Temptations of, you know, whether it's substance, whether it's, uh, you know, pornography, whether it's, uh, you know, sex, whether it's, you know, whatever, drugs, alcohol, I already mentioned substances, Whatever it is, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're addicted to materialis- materialism, you know? Maybe you don't even think of that as a temptation, right? But there's many different tricks. I, met, I preached this in a message a long time ago, but there's many different tricks. The devil doesn't come in with, you know, his horns up and just burst in the door like, hey, I'm here to take your soul, you know? No, <laughs> he doesn't say that. He comes in quietly, strategically, you know, little centimeter by centimeter, Okay. So the point I'm trying to make this morning and all my rambling is this, is that, yes, the temptations will be there. Even Jesus was tempted, right, to disobey God. But we don't have to. When Jesus is our Lord and we're living by the Holy Spirit, we have power, right? We have power. What does the Bible say? That you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You have power to live the life that Jesus called us to live, not under Satan, but under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. On to the next. Jesus delivers us from sin. He delivers us from sin. He delivers us from the one who causes us to sin, yes. But then he also delivers us from sin and the consequences of our sin. The, 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 you could say the burden of our sin. How does he do this? Well, this kind of goes along the same theme of him conquering uh, evil with love. But what happens on the cross is Jesus is, is hanging there. Bradley read this morning, right? That In, in 1 John 4.10, that, that not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. The word atonement, okay, atoning, you've probably seen that in your Bible. It's a really fancy church word, okay? It's, a, it's an English word. If you break it down, atonement, at one meant, at one. God has made us at one with himself. How has he done this? In and through Jesus Christ. He has made us at one with himself. What separates us? So, so you know, I mean, it's obvious Merce and I are getting married. Everybody knows that, right? So if we are at one, then we are at peace with each other, right? Think of, think of that. And that obviously, that's the relationship that God you know, uses to draw between us and the church, right? Is a, a marriage relationship, right? It, we're at one with each other. When you're at one with someone, then you're together. You're connected, right? But what, what breaks that bond in, in, the, in the context of our relationship with God? It's sin, right? It's sin. The Bible is very clear that sin is separated us from God, that sin makes us enemies with God. Not on God's, not on God's end, but on our end. We, we separate ourselves from God. We make God an enemy by our sin. So how does Jesus deal with sin? How does Jesus make us at one with God? The Bible says um, in 1 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So God looks down at us, right? And he sees that we have a sin problem. How many of you have a sin problem? We have a sin problem, right? He looks at us and he says, there's a sin problem here. There's a problem here. How am I going to solve this? How are we going to solve this problem of sin? He sends Jesus. 
but not separate of himself. But he sends himself. And he comes in the form of flesh. And once again, this is reiterating this theme of, of conquering evil with love. But when Jesus goes to the cross, and they're beating him, and they're scourging him, committing the greatest sin ever known, deicide, and they killed God, right? They're, they're, they're whipping God, they're killing God, they're, they're making fun of him, mocking him, right? This is God, they're mocking him. And what is his response? I just, I just love this, it gets me every time. Hanging from Calvary with arms wide open, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, forgive them. And what do you think that God the Father is up in heaven saying? Well, I don't know, son, we're going to have to think this over a little bit. No. Jesus says, I only say what I hear the Father saying. He says that in, in John. I only say what I hear the Father saying. God the Father says, of course, son, of course. Because it's on the cross, as Jesus is hanging there, bearing the sin of the world, that he recycles your sin and my sin, the sin of the world, the sin of every single person who's ever existed, past, present, and future. He says, Father, forgive them. And from Calvary, he iterates this, this, this cosmic forgiveness. Thus dealing with sin. Setting us free from sin. And so this morning, maybe you're in here and you, you live by this kind of self-deprecating, you know, you, you can't let yourself go for sins that you've committed in the past. You can't, you can't move on from that one thing that you did to that one person or that thing that you did that got you in deep trouble with the law or, you know, all sorts of different things that we do in our lives that are sin. And oftentimes we hold on to those things. Jesus has set us free. Jesus has forgiven us, but we still hold on to those things. I challenge you in this place this morning to forgive yourself. Because you've already been forgiven by God. You've already been forgiven and set free. Amen. We've been forgiven by Jesus for what he's done for us on the cross. And lastly, this one's the most obvious one and the best one of all. Right? There's, they say there's two things in life everybody will face. Death and taxes. And I say, well, I don't know. If you're a Christian, uh, you will face death. But it's different. It's different. Because what we see in the work that Jesus does on the cross is that he takes evil, he takes sin upon himself, and he dies. He dies. I don't think that point could be, we, sometimes on Easter we're so quick to get to resurrection, we forget that he died. He did die. But in his death, he takes sin and evil down into the grave. He takes the, the, all of the evil of the world on himself into the grave. And when he goes into the grave, and he comes back up. He doesn't take it. He, doesn't, he leaves it in the grave. He doesn't take it back up with him. He takes it and he buries it into the ground. He buries it into the ground, never to be remembered again, never to be brought up again. And so what we see is that in Jesus, Jesus defeats death by death, that he destroys death by death. The way that we always talk about this in church, and we kind of borrowed this from a, a different pastor, but, you know, anybody here has seen Men in Black? Uh, you know, the scene where, you know, uh, Tommy Lee Jones and, Will Smith are fighting that giant bug, right? And, and uh, well, it just, it's what happens. And he gets eaten by the bug, and, and like purposely, though. He purposely does it. He purposely allows himself to be eaten so that he can destroy the bug from the inside. Remember that part? So that he can kill it from the inside. This is a very silly picture, but a very accurate picture, I might add, of what Jesus does with death. I, I almost wonder, uh, you know, this is obviously playing into the mind of God now, right? I mean, could God have just cast down evil? Just evil's gone, probably. Could he just been all sin wiped from the face of the earth? 
Probably. Could he have just said, death, gone? Probably, right? But that would be a God that was very far off and a God that was very distant. What we see in Jesus Christ is that he comes and God makes things really personal. And he comes to our level and he comes to our world and he comes to our flesh and bone. He comes to be with us, God with us, Emmanuel. He comes and he enters into our experience, even death in its fullest form. He enters into every bit of what it means to be human, every bit of what it means to be human. He had family members that were killed. He had friends that betrayed him, people that talked behind his back, people that, uh, you know, people that left him and deserted him. Nights where he felt lonely, nights where he felt cold, you know, where he was laying out alone. Jesus entered into every single part of what it means to be human so that he might redeem every single part of what it means to be human. Let me say that again because that's, that's important to catch. Jesus entered into every part of what it means to be human so that he could redeem every part of what it means to be human. He entered into our pain, into our guilt, into our shame, into our sin, and even into death itself so that he might redeem us, so that he might draw us out, so that in his resurrection life, then we have the power, then we have the hope, then we have the glory. That's why we can come together on Easter and every Sunday, which every Sunday is a miniature celebration of Easter, if you didn't know that, we can come together as believers in joy because we know that Jesus has overcome, that Jesus is victorious. And to wrap it back around to Psalm chapter 40, this is why this gets me excited. This is why this psalm right here is a prophetic psalm because we see that Jesus, he draws up, draws us up out of the pit of destruction, but you know how he does it is he comes into the pit with us. He comes into our destruction with us. He comes into our sin with us. He comes into our shame with us. He comes into uh, the sin and the evil. He comes into the dirtiest parts of our lives. He comes into our shame. He comes into every single evil part of what it means to be human, and he comes in and he redeems it. He draws us up out of the pit, and he sets our feet on a rock, and he gives us a new song of praise. He gives you a new life. He gives you a new heart. This is what it means to follow Jesus, this is what it means to be a believer in Jesus, is that we don't have to live in the pit. To use the story of the prodigal son, you don't have to eat what the pigs are eating anymore because the father has slain the fattened calf and he's got a new, he's got a feast for you. He's got a new life for you. We don't have to live in the ways of the world. We don't have to live in the ways of destruction and sin and evil, in the ways of hatred, unforgiveness, and murder. We can live in the ways that Jesus has called us to live with goodness and mercy and grace, right? To every person that we meet. That's the life. That's the life that we all want, right? Is a life of peace, a life of goodness. The life that Jesus has for us. Psalm 40, verse 4. Blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust. Blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust. Will you trust in Jesus this morning? Will you trust in Jesus? That's the question I want to lead us to towards the end here as we go into communion. Because Jesus has already done the work, guys. Jesus has already done the work. He's already done the work on Calvary. He's already entered into every part of what it means to be human. He's already, he's already, he knows your life. He's already experienced what you've experienced. He's been through what you've been through. The Bible says that we have a high priest uh, who, who knows how we feel, right? He, he's struck with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows how we feel. He can relate to us. Will you trust in him this morning? Will you trust in him? Will you trust in him with your life? Will you draw close to him this morning? And as we do, as we draw closer to him, I talked earlier about praise that comes up out of us. 
as we draw closer to him, the more praise comes up out of us because we realize all the good things that God has done for us and is doing for us and has done for us through Calvary, right? Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, ah, God hasn't done very much for me. He set you free on Calvary. He destroyed Satan. He's forgiven your sin. He's destroyed death. We have something to, we have something to praise him for this morning, right? We have something to praise him for. For he has been good to us. He has destroyed Satan. He has destroyed sin. And he has destroyed death. And now we, we can look to him and we can trust in him. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask if the band will come back up. We're going to enter into a time of communion this morning. Um, and then I'm going to ask if, um, if uh, Isaac and, and Pastor Bradley will pass around the communion while we're getting things going here.